Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Thank God for his holy written word. We're talking about walking in love this morning. I believe this really is more of the love season than even in February. Amen. You know. Uh, so we're talking about walking in love. And I just want to begin by sharing with us that every single believer is under a divine mandate to study the word of God. To become a disciplined student of God's word. A disciple is a disciplined student, not just to hear somebody preach it and inspire you. We thank God for inspiration, but we need revelation, revelation knowledge of all the things that God has done for us. And so look at 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. It tells us, study to show your neighbor, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that's that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You might say, well, that was written to a pastor. That was written to Timothy. That's written for all people. Every one of us is a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Every one of us is to rightly divide the word of truth. Every one of us is to be a student of the word of God. Why? Because God understood and he knows the importance of our understanding his word. It has everything to do with our spiritual, emotional, physical, social, and eternal lives. Think about that. God gave us this word to straighten out our thinking so that we can think right. Because our thinking right will determine and depend, really, upon how our spiritual life ends up. Emotional, physical, social, eternal. Every part of our being. Look at Psalm 119.105. We say this all the time. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He pictures someone walking in darkness down a dark path with probably ditches and holes and all that. But something lights the way so that he doesn't stumble. Fall. Well, God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path that lights the way for us. We know that we live in a sin-soaked world. We know that. We understand that. And the only way to illuminate our path is the Word of God. Why? He's the creator of human life. He has the right to govern human life. And the fact that we live in a fallen state because of the fall of man makes us realize that our emotional feelings are not dependable. We can't depend on how we think, how we feel. Remember the time, I might date myself, if it feels good, do it, was the mantra. If it feels good, do it. 
In other words, let your feelings and let your emotions dictate to your life, the way you live your life, the way you conduct yourself. Well, I'll tell you what, right now, that would be awful. Because our feelings and emotions fluctuate from not even day to day, but from moment to moment. And they're not a safe guide for any of us. And we need to know that. No, God gave us his word so that we can understand the path that he has for our lives. So that we can walk upon that path and honor him and please him. His word helps us navigate through life in a proper way. Also, let me ask you this question. If you were planning on skydiving, I'm not. But if you were planning on skydiving and your instructor came and gave you a manual that explains how your parachute operates. Would you question his motives? I don't think you would. Especially if you've never gone skydiving before. You probably want to look it over and over and over again. If there's a complication, if there's a situation that occurs, maybe you've got a backup, this or that. I don't know. I never went skydiving. But God created us and gave us a manual. This is a manual that instructs us in the way of life. It tells us this is the way, walking in it. As a matter of fact, every single one of us is an eternal spirit being that will never cease to exist. We will live on throughout eternity. Where we spend our eternal destination depends on certain things that we choose to do with our lives. It's up to us to find out that God's word reveals to us there are two paths that we can take. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. So there's a way of salvation and there's a way of damnation. It's up to the person to make the choice or the decision as to where they're going to spend their eternity. It's not up to God. As I was growing up and in church, I actually thought one time that it was up to me, you know, to, to, up to God to determine where I'm going to spend my eternity. And so I would cry out to him time and time. But it really is up to me to find out that God's already made a plan of salvation for me. He's provided a plan of redemption. I've got to discover that. I've got to learn what he has done for me. Well, we're living right now in a time that Isaiah 5 and verse 20 is really fulfilled. It tells us, woe unto those who call good evil and evil good, who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter, who call light darkness and darkness light. We're living in a time right now where man's human reasoning, feelings, and emotions have taken over, and it's affected our society. And the sad part about it is crept into the church world. It crept, crept into the lives of believers. Many believers thinking that this is okay, that is okay because of their feelings and their emotions. Well, when Isaiah wrote that, what was taking place in Judah was a lot of drunkenness and debauchery. And everybody was thinking that this is life. It's, we're jolly. We're, you know, having a great time and all that. But he said, whoa, whoa, whoa is unto him who says good is evil and evil is good. Well, let me ask you a question. Who has a right to determine what's good and what's evil? What's right and what's wrong? What's bitter and what's sweet? What's light and what's darkness? I would say the creator, wouldn't you? 
Who has a right to govern the lives of the ones he's created? Not a trick question. God does, right? But yet people get hammered when they tell you what the Bible says. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? You know the Ten Commandments? Who had a right to write those commandments? Who has a right to tell me how to live my life? How many people say, I'll live my life the way I'm going to live my life? You have that right. But also, you'll spend your eternity based on your decision. So if God says, I am God, have no strange gods before me. Guess what? He has a right to say that. He can govern our lives. He created us. He has a right to say, no images of any false god will you bow down to. Why? Some people get criticized. They, they criticize you for saying that there's only one God, there's only one way. Well, no, there's so many other ways. No, there's not. There's one way. The other ways lead to judgment. One way leads to eternal life. Okay, so number three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Who has the right to say that? I'll talk the way I want to talk. I'll speak the way I want to speak. Really? You have a right to do that. But I'm telling you right now, this book says, God, who is the author of this book, which is the Bible, said, don't take my name and use it in vain, flippantly, to curse with it, or anything of that nature. See, it's time to get back to Bible basics, wouldn't you say? So you can say, I believe in God, and still use his name in vain. I have to question whether or not then you've been a student of God's word to study to show yourself approved to God. Amen? A workman that needs not to be ashamed, right, and divided word of truth. And then he went on to say what else? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And of course, we've deviated from that in our society. But you know what? Jesus is our Sabbath. And every single day is holy. And we keep the Sabbath holy by walking with Jesus every day of our lives. So those first four commandments talk about our relationship with God. But then you got number five. Honor your father and your mother if they're good people. What? Honor your father and your mother if they have a lot of money. Honor your father and your mother if they buy you a car. No? No, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you would live long on the earth. So it doesn't matter what kind of mother or father you have or had. What matters is you made a decision to hold them in high esteem because of the position that they hold in your life and who they are. And who has a right to tell you how to live your life and what to do with it? Your creator. He created you. He wrote the manual. He wrote it all down for us, every single one of us. Honor your father and your mother. Next, thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not kill means thou shalt not commit murder. Well, we don't commit murder. Well, did you vote for abortion? It gets quiet when you say that. But it's the truth. You know what? If people want to throw stones, throw stones. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, I knew you before your mother's womb. I knew you before you entered your mother's womb. There's a life there. People are going to be accountable to that and for that. You realize that. Now, don't look at me like that because I'm preaching real good. <laughs> well, what about 
Thou shalt, next one, thou shalt not commit adultery. And if you read of Adam Clark's, uh, he has a commentary on that. It talks about any and every form of sexual immorality, debauchery of any sort. It's not just adultery. It includes everything connected to sexual immorality. Who has a right to govern our sensuality, our sexuality? Who has a right? Only God. It includes fornication. It includes homosexuality. It includes every form of debauchery. It includes all of that. Who has a right to govern a person's life? So does that mean I have a right then because I want to do something my way? Why is it so quiet in here? <laughs> hey, we're living in the days that the judgment's beginning at the house of God. You realize that? It's beginning here at the house of God. We don't just profess to be Christians. We are believers in God. His word. His word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I had someone even come and talk to me. Why do you say that it says homosexuality is an abomination? I said, I didn't. I heard you say it. I said, I still didn't. Yes, you did. I heard you say it. I said, no, no, I read to you the Bible. That's what God said. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Just read it for yourself. Would you mind in a new, new living translation, pull that up while I'm talking? Again, you know why I'm saying this? Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel, I believe it is 18, says if, if, a, if a righteous man sins and you don't go and tell that righteous man you don't sin, his blood will be on you. But if, you're, if you go and tell that person who's a righteous man that sin, that righteousness doesn't sin, then his blood will be on him, not on you. So what's the right thing for us to do as believers? To let people know that's not the right way to live. That's not the right thing to do. Who has a right to govern a person's life? Only God himself. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Whoa. Whoa. What? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, did I say that? I read that. I didn't authorize that. I didn't author it. It didn't come from me. Who's it come from? Does he have a right to govern our lives? He sure does have a right to govern our lives, doesn't he? Now, if he would have said there's nothing wrong with any of these things we just read there, then everything would be okay. Right? Absolutely. So God's word basically gives us instruction as to how to live our lives in a way that pleases him and not ourselves or other people. And we're living in a time right now where it's going to be even more difficult from behind a pulpit like this to say these things publicly. You realize that? That's happening right now, everywhere. But you know what? Truth is truth. We celebrate during this season something very powerful. God's word was made flesh. 
God's word was made flesh. He robed his word in flesh in the person of our Lord. Look at John's gospel, chapter one. God's word was made flesh. God wanted his word to be so effectively communicated to us that his word became flesh. It took on human form. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not made anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh. Wow. And dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, and what else? Truth. So once again, our lives are to be governed by the Word because God, the second person, the deity called the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and walked among us to communicate to us the mind of the Father. And remember, Jesus said, anything I've ever told you comes from the Father. Not from me, but from the Father. Everything I do, I do because I see the Father do it. Everything I say, I say because the Father says to say it. So in other words, God, who is our Creator, who created us and gave us life and gave us the option to live our lives on this earth the way we want to, we could either live to honor him or not honor him. It's up to us. Gave us instructional teaching from his word to tell us how to live our lives, how to conduct ourselves, how to walk the walk that we walk here upon the earth. And that's what this life is all about. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship that we have with our creator and a desire to please him. Just like Jesus said, I'm always doing the things that please you. Why? Because I'm carrying out your word. He was the word made flesh. That's what we're celebrating during Christmas time. The word was made flesh and the word dwelt among us. And the word effectively told us what is right, what is wrong, what is sweet, what is bitter, what is light, what is dark, what is good and what is evil. Can you say amen? amen. Okay, now look at these next verses. In 1 Peter 1, 23, I, I, when I first got saved, I just devoured that verse. For 24 years, I was in church. Never heard you had to be born again. Never heard that statement made. And you know what my first reaction was when I heard it and read it in my Bible? First of all, I said, what else is in there that I don't know, number one. And then I was so angry with my spiritual leaders at that time. What are you doing? I'm entrusting my eternal destination in your hands, my goodness, it's right there. I actually went back to the fella and just said, I never heard being born again. He goes, you can't believe everything in that book. Oh, that was, I was revving up my engine right then, getting ready to run. And by the time I got to the other parts that I asked him questions about the Bible, and he kept concluding that you can't believe everything in that book. I said, you're, so you're telling me to put our doctrine above Christ and what he said in his word? Yeah, you have to obey church doctrine. I said, adios. If you don't know what that means, it just means goodbye. <laughs> Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by your religious tradition. By your personal sacraments. How? How? How are you born again? By the word of God that lives and abides forever. What does that mean? It means 
Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. James put it that way. Of his own will he gave birth to us with the word. The word is the seed of eternal life. Words are powerful containers of life and death. Death and life for the power of the tongue. When Jesus spoke those words and said, you must be born again to, to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And he said, you, Nicodemus, you're a spiritual leader. You don't understand what I'm talking about. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. You had a physical birth. And if you had a physical birth, which I'm assuming we all have, right? Well, then you better have a spiritual birth. If not, you'll be lost for eternity. You must be born again spiritually. That which is born to the spirit is spirit. That which is born to the flesh is flesh. If I want to spend my eternal well-being, eternal destination with him in glory and not a place called the lake of fire where I'm going to be lost forever, then guess what? I must be born again. Well, how do I get born again? Oh, don't you want to just embrace this? I found out. Romans 10, 8 through 10 said, but what saith it? The word is near you. The word is near you in your heart, your mouth, the word of faith that we preach. Paul preached the word of faith. Shame on you, Paul. Word of faith is so looked down upon right now. And I, people say, you what, what word of faith person? I said, well, Paul was. No, he wasn't. Read Romans chapter 10, 8 through 10. He preached the word of faith. People distorted it. I understand that. But guess what? It's still the word of faith. That if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to right standing with God and with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. Not by going through certain rituals. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. I believe you took your blood to the high court of heaven. I believe you obtained eternal redemption for me. I believe you were the only sacrifice. You were offered up and praise God. You fulfill all sacrifices. And because of your sacrifice, I can make you my Savior and Lord. And I can spend my eternity with my Father in eternal glory. I accept that. I believe that. I proclaim that. I declare that. And guess what? I'm going to live like that. I'm going to live like that as well. Because you see, there's going to be a change. You know why there's going to be a change? Because he's on the inside. You can't get God on the inside of you and not start acting like him. I got something on the inside. It's working on the outside. Oh, hallelujah. Can you see that? And man, when he came into me and recreated my spirit, the love of God was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And I saw the world through different colored eyes. Look at the next one. You've been born again. How? By the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by a few things that God said. Everywhere. What? Everywhere. You're a fanatic. <laughs> We've got a bunch of fanatics here today. How many words? Every word. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The ones you like and the ones you don't like. Am I glad he never put butter on those words? Because I, I would have a hard time swallowing those words. Every word. Jesus is telling this to the devil himself. It is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how we live. No matter what we think but what he thinks. So thank God for that. So we've been born again through the word. We live by the word. And then look at this next one in 1 Peter 2, 2. Another one that I really loved. 
when I first got saved. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Some people like to use some physical illustrations when they do things like this. Can you imagine a baby? Just put a baby in a little bassinet. Let him sit there for a while. Him or her. Don't feed that child for a while. Wait a little bit longer. Before you know it, you're going to start hearing some screaming. What's the, what's the matter? What's wrong with you, sweetheart? Now, I got the interpretation. The baby did the screaming. I got the inter interpretation. Feed me. I'm hungry. And it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. As a newborn babe desires milk, the milk of the word, you desire the milk of God's word so that you can grow thereby. You see, without the word, there's no growth. That's what's wrong with even believers today. For whatever reason, we got away from the Bible. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to what God said. Let's set aside our own thoughts, our own reasoning and everything else. And let's start believing what God said. If God said, thou shalt not commit murder, then don't commit murder. If he says, thou shalt not commit adultery, then don't commit adultery. If he says, thou shalt not steal, then thou shalt not steal. If he says, you don't bear false witness, then you don't bear false witness. If he says, don't covet your neighbor's goods. Your, his wife or whoever, then guess what? He created us. He has a right to govern us. See, his kingdom is all about this. He lets us make a decision where we really want to spend our eternity. He does. You're an eternal spirit being. I'm an eternal spirit being. And guess what? I will spend my eternity where I choose to spend my eternity. Well, that, why does that mean I have to go into the Bible? I'm not a preacher. Neither was I. Neither was I. But when I got saved, I'm going to say it like this. If you're truly saved, there's going to be a hunger and thirst for God's word like a baby once fed. That's the illustration. You don't have to tell a baby, are you hungry yet, sweetie? No, that baby's going to let you know. We need to cry out for the word of God. Have a heart, hunger, thirst, and desire. And if that's lost in us, it's time for Revival. It's time for another dip in the blood. It's time for people to start saying, if I've lost a desire to study, to read God's word and study and pray, something is wrong. Because you see, that's unnatural. Unnatural. Can you see that? There should be a hunger and thirst for God's word. He doesn't want theologians. No, what he wants is people that are willing to and wanting to obey his word Keep his laws, his statutes, judgments, and commandments. That's what he's looking for. Because those are the ones that are letting him know, I want to spend my eternity with you. I'm not letting my feelings and emotions govern my life. Look at the next one. In Matthew chapter 7, he gave us his word to overcome life's storms. Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken them like to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. When the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew. And beat upon that house and it fell not. Why? Because it was found upon a rock. And then he goes on to say, if you don't hear, if you hear these things and you don't do them, your house is going to fall. So in essence, what he's saying is this. If you build your life on the word, you'll be challenged. And if you don't build your life on the word, you're still going to be challenged in life. But those that hear the word of God and do the word of God are going to be the ones that will rise up and be victorious over the storms that come against us in life. But it's up to us to be, to be doers or students of God's word. So that we know what it says, how to act, how to carry it out. 
Does that mean we'll never be vulnerable? No, you're going to be vulnerable because you're living in flesh just like anybody else. And what about Proverbs 4, 20 through 22? In verse 20, that's 22, but verse 20, my son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, don't let it depart from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? They are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. His words are life-giving and health-giving. Hallelujah. They're life-giving and they're health-giving. His words. And so for this reason, once again, he wants all of us to be students of his word. First and foremost. Why? Because the Holy Ghost acts when the word is spoken. He acts when people declare the word to be true. When we declare the word, then the Spirit of God is going to move and make that word a reality in somebody's life. So if we're not taking the word of God making it and speaking it forth in faith, he has nothing to work with. In the beginning, when God created all things, we understand that everything was uh, in chaos. But then God's word spoke, and when, the, when he spoke, the Spirit of God moved. The Spirit was hovering, but wasn't doing. But when someone said, let there be light, boom, then he went in operation. And that's how it is with us. And that's why it's important for us to recognize our need to proclaim and declare God's word. With his stripes, I was healed. With his stripes, I was healed. Instead of going a thousand places to try to get healed, go to the word of God and find out what it says and start saying, I've got good news for you, body. Body. With his stripes, you were healed. With his stripes, you are healed. His words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. What's so sad is the church shies away from this for some reason. I don't know why. This is the truth. He bore our sin, sickness, carried our pain, became our mental anguish, and also became the curse on Calvary's tree from us to redeem us from the curse. We're living in the year of Jubilee. Hallelujah. What does that mean? We got it all bought. He, Jesus bought and paid for it, got it all back, and gave it all to us. It's not a time in the future. We're living in it right now. He redeemed us by, the, by his blood from the hand of the enemy. He delivered us, set us free. And thank God it all belongs to us. He gave it all back to us. So it's up to us to learn those truths and act upon them. And then look at the last one. So then faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by CNN. Fox News. No. MSNBC. No. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to truly hear then hear the word of God. What thus saith the Lord? What is God saying? What's he saying right now? He's saying right now that Jesus is getting ready to come and we need to get it together. He's saying right now to a society, it's time to make a decision. Either you're for him or you're against him. Amen. Many are in the valley of decision. Which way are we going to go? He is saying it's time to make up your mind. How long will you halt between two opinions? As Elijah said to the prophets of Baal and the people of God. How long are you going to sit there and decide who's God, who's really God? Let God who answers by fire be God. And did he have answer by fire? It's not a true question. Did he answer by fire? He did, didn't he? Did he answer the prophets of Baal by fire? Absolutely not. So in other words, we all have a visual. We all know that he's answered by fire. We've got the greatest act of God ever, ever given to man. When Jesus was raised up from the dead on the third day after being dead, the grave couldn't hold him down. The stone that was rolled away or hurled away by an angel probably couldn't hold him back. 
The devil couldn't hold him down. All his cohorts couldn't hold him down. The grave couldn't hold him down. Nothing, death couldn't hold him down. Praise God, he arose from the dead on the third day and said, I'm out of here. And he went straight to heaven, praise God. Told Mary, don't touch me. I still got something more to do. I'm going to present my blood before the, the throne of Almighty God. I'm going to redeem you, pay the price of your redemption, and I'm going to set you free. When I come back, you can hug me all you want. <laughs> Amen? You can hug me all you want, praise God. And that's exactly what happened. Because when he came back after he did that, he said, go ahead, touch me now. Touch me now. Oh, praise God. We need to know the word of God and live by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we're always to exalt God's word above anything else that we hear. Even though what we hear is truth, but it's a lower truth. It's not a higher truth. God's word is a higher truth. Well, look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Because now we'll begin our message. That was just an introduction. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Okay. Well then, Lord, what, what's important? But faith, which worketh by love. Notice he didn't say by understanding what the dress was of the day in the Old Testament. Notice he didn't say by understanding who all the patriarchs were. It doesn't come by knowing how long it took Noah to build the ark. Faith working by love. Hallelujah. It's what's most important. Are you in Christ? Did you come as a Gentile? Did you come as a Jew? Are you a Messianic Jew? Then you know what's important? Faith working by love. Is my faith working? By love. You see, it's energized by love. The first place to look if our faith is not as productive as it needs to be, am I walking in love? Is love energizing my faith? Is love the motivating force behind all the activity of my life? Is it the driving force? Am I doing this out of love? And when we talk about love, you know, once again, this is important because, again, I don't, I, when I went to church, I heard one little scripture and then someone talking about how wonderful their Thanksgiving was. It was so nice that we all got together. There were 34 of us. We ate turkey. We had mashed potatoes and gravy. And we also said about something that we were thankful for. And that was just a wonderful time. And it is a wonderful time. But you know what? When you come to church, you need to be taught the word of God. And I'll tell you something else. You wouldn't even know what the Holy Ghost does if you didn't have the Word of God to tell you what He does. You wouldn't know special faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, tongue, interpretation of tongue, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. You wouldn't even know about that if it were not for the Word of God. And so we need to study the, the Word of God. So when it comes to love, when He said faith, working by love. See, we use that word love there, you know, flippantly. I love. And then you name all these things. I love this. I love that. I love all these wonderful things. I love food. I love dessert. I love a beautiful pizza is always a standard. <laughs> I love a, a beautiful scene. I love painting. I love artwork. And then you go on and on. I love cars. I love dogs. I love cats. I love my wife. You better shift that around a little bit. Don't put her after the dogs and the cats, but just. 
My point is that we use the word love flippantly. We love everything. I love a hot shower. Don't you love a hot shower? Mylene was just sharing with me how they don't have hot running water and shower there where she comes from. You talk about being thankful for something. Are you thankful for that? And when I talked about for our Thanksgiving service about thanking God for duct tape, I meant it. Thank God for Because if you learn to thank God for the little things that we enjoy in life and you really appreciate them, then you won't take them for granted. You won't take the bigger things for granted. You'll develop an attitude of gratitude for everything that you have. I'm glad we got in a car and drove here today. I'm glad we have umbrellas. Are you thankful for an umbrella when it's out there like a monsoon? Okay, but here's my point. The Greek, love, is one word for us. You love all these things. But in the Greek, there's different words for love. Eros is a word for love. Eros is a lower base love. It's a, it's a sensual love. It's just a physical attraction. You're physically attracted to somebody, not necessarily even uh, involved in, in sex, but it, it, it does include that. But it's talking about I'm attracted to somebody. I love you because I'm saying I'm attracted to you. You know, so that's great. That's the lower base love. That's the bottom of it all. But it's sad because we've taken it and put it up here at the top. If it was up at the top, you know what? There wouldn't be one divorce in all of Hollywood. Right? You've got all these individuals starve themselves to be thin and look good and all that. And then they last about three years and that's it. But not Charles Barkley. He's been married for 25 years to the same woman. And you're looking at me like, who's Charles Barkley? <laughs> well, if you don't know, he's a professional basketball player among all these other people. He's the one during that commercial that says, I told you he, she'd choose me. You don't remember that one either, do you? <laughs> it's as easy as this. And there's Charles Barkley Six foot whatever, and these little kids, and she says, I'll take Barclay. I told you she would. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. <laughs> That's the lower base love. Attraction. That's not enough to make the marriage lasting. Then you've got storgy. That's the next. Okay, now that I'm attracted to you, but am I compatible with you? Let's go down my list. Okay, he or she has to be this, 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 this. And don't leave pizza off of that guy like pizza. You know, on the list, it has to all be there. Are we compatible? Do they like sports? Don't like sports. Do you like art? Don't like art. Well, the thing is, when you're saying that, I'm going to make myself compatible with you. Because when you get married, the ultimate goal and aim is to do what? Become one with that person. And so I love you. I'm attracted to you. But also, I am willing to become compatible with you. Thirdly, we get the word phileo, phileo love, which is Philadelphia. We get that brotherly love. And it's a responsive kind of love. Hey, you wash my back, I'll wash yours. Hey, you uh, give me a gift, I'll give you a gift. But if you holler at me, I'm hollering back right at you. It's responsive. That's, that's the highest form of natural human love that we have, which is why it always turns sour after a while. You see, during that initial period where you're just complimenting each other, you look so nice, that's wonderful, buy you a gift and all that. And then all of a sudden, what, how, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right. Before you know it, you got a fight like cats and dogs going after it. Why? Because it's responsive. So when he said faith working by love, he wasn't referring to an attraction. He wasn't ver being talking about compatibility or responsive. He's talking about agape. Agape is love. God's love. 
God who is love says, I want you to walk in love, agape, love. It's based on principle and decision, not feeling and emotion. Boy, what about that? You mean my feeling and emotion has nothing to do with it? Nothing at all. It's a decision that you're going to love unconditionally based on principle. God's love was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost the moment we got saved. You see, and sometimes if you don't emphasize that, we think it's just because how we feel, we're just going to act out how we feel. But that's not it. The love of God, we are told in Romans, the love of God was shed abroad in our heart. In other words, an explosion of God's love came into our being when we got saved. And that love is agape. It's the divine love of God that was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who's given to us. So the first manifestation of our salvation is the love of God just enters into our being. Remember what the scripture says in 1 John chapter 3. It talks about that. How can you say that, you, that you're, you're of God if you don't love? God is love. And if God is love, then that love that's on the inside of us that he shed abroad or exploded within us is going to manifest. And so when I first got saved, I knew I was saved. I saw the world in a different light. I saw people in a different light. I saw trees in a different light. I saw flowers in a different light. I saw anything and everything around me in a different light. All of a sudden, I have this overwhelming love inside me for God. You see, when someone says, well, yeah, I, I, I confess Jesus. Well, you may have confessed Jesus, but if there's not even an motive within you whatsoever to love as he loved, something is wrong here. I'll be honest with you. I think that's why a lot of Christians, if they if they're really truly are Christians, make such wrong decisions. Again, I'm just being real with us. You know why I want to be real with us? I don't know how much longer I have on this planet. Or you or anybody else. I don't want anyone's blood on me. It's the truth that makes us free. It's knowing the truth. My calling is to tell us the truth, not to tickle our ears. If you claim that you know God, then he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You start loving people as I loved you. Did you realize he raised the bar on love when he said that? In the Old Testament, it was love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. So that means love yourself. So guess what? If you get up every morning, you look in the mirror and you go, mm, can't stand what I see. Can't stand who you are. I don't like being me. Guess what? You're not loving yourself. You don't see yourself valuable and precious as God sees you valuable and precious. And you see all that and that pr projects from you to other people. See, God wants you to know that you're a masterpiece. Here, his work of outstanding artistry. His work of outstanding workmanship. You're beautiful in his eyes. And you should be beautiful in your eyes. Because you can't love someone if you don't love yourself. So he said, love others as you love yourself. Well, that wasn't good enough. Because you see, in the New Testament, the New Covenant, we have a new commandment. And what's that new commandment? Love, not as you love yourself. Love others as I have loved you. He took that and raised the bar. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Aren't you glad he agaped you? He loved you. He loved me so much, praise God, that he was willing to lay down his life 
So listen to these scriptures now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's unconditional love based on principle and decision because the world wasn't loving him. Phileo responding to him in any way wasn't loving him at all. But God so loved the world that he moved toward the world so the world would respond to his love. So he loved the world that much that he gave his son. What did Jesus say? Greater love agape has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hallelujah. That's what he said. For God is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. He is light. He is life. And that love that's in us, we're supposed to love other people with as he loved us. How did he love you? How did he love me? He laid down his life. He shed his blood. He bore the sin. He bore the curse. He became mental anguish. He became sickness. We will never be able to define everything that Jesus became when he became sin on that cross. We'll never be able to really understand our process and our thinking, the sacrifice that he made and the suffering that he bore when he bore the wrath of God for us. So now you look at somebody else around you that you might think little of or whatever. Maybe I'm just a little that bothersome. They bother me, whatever. Stop and just take a moment and take a break. Look at that person through different eyes. You know what? They should teach this in schools. You know why? There'd be no more bullying. You see that person you're looking at? That person's fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God. And that person Jesus died for, laid his life down for. That wouldn't be a matter of a child in the womb. That child in the womb is fearfully, wonderfully made by a living God who knows the child before it's even in the womb. Imagine all this. How it would change our way of thinking, our reasoning and everything when we start seeing people through the eyes of God. Everyone around us. It should cause us to bow on our knees in an act of humility before the throne of God. God, give me 20-20 vision that I can see people the way you see people. Because no one's better than anybody else. We all have the same Father, same Creator, same rules, same laws. We have the same Savior, same Redeemer, same Healer, same Holy Ghost, same future, same destiny and destination with Him in glory. We're all things equal. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. I'm not better than you, and you're not better than me. We need each other. But God says, I want you to love people around you the way I loved you. What a mandate. Walking in love. What matters in Christ is faith working by love. And if we want our faith to work, then love is going to be, have, to, have to be the motivating force behind the activity of our lives is to be the driving force that drives us to do what we're to do. And if it is, your faith will work amazingly. You realize that? Okay, where are we at? Let's all stand.